final jumping off point uh, in responding to who is Jesus, that question is Jesus is self-sacrificial love. And helping us with our discussion today will be one of our stakeholders here at Brownline. I'm super pumped to have her in this setting. Uh, please welcome Abby Dye. Hi, Abby. Hello. Good to see you. Uh, Abby is, yeah, Abby is an educator of young children. Uh, she is a maker of her own furniture in her free time. Not sure how many people knew that about Abby. Uh, and she is an incredibly thoughtful friend. If you've joined us before, uh, you may recognize her as one of our regular moderators here on Sunday. So we've seen her face before. So uh, if, you, if you've been around Brownline here in virtual settings. Uh, Abby is also on Brownline Church's pastoral care team, uh, the women and men who meet regularly to pray for the needs of this community and triage, uh, helping to meet those needs. Uh, we are so grateful to have uh, Abby a part of today and a part of this series because she is a great example of the kind of person uh, that we started this church for, someone who's spiritually interested, who's looking for community, but that doesn't fit very well culturally in most American church settings or religious settings. Uh, that has given her, I think, in my experience of her, just a really like laser sharp perspective on um, things that are often talked about in passing or talked about very quickly in church settings in America, but never really unpacked. At, like our topic today, which is Jesus on the cross. That's where we're going to talk about self-sacrificial love, this moment that expresses that of Jesus on the cross. But with the way that Jesus on the cross is most frequently referenced or used to motivate people in America today, it's not actually talking about self-sacrificial love. It's more like you know, evoking images of law and order or fear of punishment. Uh, it's there, there's some sort of necessary violence that has to happen in order for God to carry us, we're, care for us. We're, we're, we're appeasing some sort of strong man. And, you know, with those kind of connotations, it is, it actually makes sense that the majority of white Christians in America consider Donald Trump to be their best option for leadership. It actually kind of makes sense when those are our connotations around Jesus on the cross. But as we talk about regularly here at Brownline Church, Jesus on the cross is not about those things. It is about self-sacrificial love, a kind of leadership that couldn't be more different than what we see in much of the rhetoric on the right side of politics today. So Abby has her own a story of, of kind of discovering this, uh, of this becoming really real to her, uh, a, a Jesus on the cross being about something that is inspiring and magnetic and not that makes you want to run for the hills. And so uh, really, I think what I want to start with, Abby, uh, as we go is if, if you could if you could take us a little bit into your story of having an aha experience around uh, Jesus on the cross uh, and, you know, like where it's very different from all these negative connotations that many of us might have. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I think kind of as you were talking, just there are so many unexplained stories and language that we just really take for granted in terms of understanding Jesus, but don't really like know or question what they mean. And I think um, for me, as you mentioned, I teach young children. Um, so the best way I think like to get to the heart of what you think you're saying um, is to pay attention to what children say that you said um, and to how they repeat and understand your words. Um, Cause I think no one is as blunt um, in such a wonderful way as children are. Um, it's kind of a scary way also sometimes. Um, and uh, I, so I teach preschool, but not in a religious setting. And one just example of this, I think, um, for me that like makes this very real is um, there was a child a couple of years ago talking about 
Good Friday, um, which is just like ripe for so many, so much like comedy in, I mean, comedy and also not comedy. Um, but so anyway, this child like gathered kids around the bathroom and um, was talking and he said, you know, there is this guy named Jesus and he was, he's real, um, but he died and he's like doing, you know, like standing like a cross and he's, and he said, and he died and he told all of these people, I'm dead, eat my body. And then he reached into his, his heart and he pulled out chicken. And, and I was, you know, like turned around to like facially compose myself. Um, but was thinking after, like, of course he thinks that Jesus is giving them chicken. Why, why, why does eat my body make sense? Like, that's not something that people do, but saying like, take my body, eat my body. You know, you're seeing like a person crucified. Like that is so literal. Um, but like, you don't, I would not have thought of saying that and until I heard a kid say that. Um, so he was given this story, but it just like wasn't contextualized, it wasn't explained. And it's just based on this, he constructed this own story based on this literal and like weird thing that an adult told him. Um, and I mean, that's not anything against his parents. Like that's what I was told too. Um, and I really think it's not like, until you hear something repeated and understood a different way that you really kind of start to understand what it is that you're really saying. Um, and so along those lines, like for me, um, when I first started to coming to VLC, uh, I remember you just hearing, I remember hearing you talk about Jesus in the cross and the crucifixion in like, in terms that really clicked for me, um, and that I hadn't really heard before. So just saying that like, Jesus wasn't killed because of some angry God who needs us to die or like who needs violence. Um, but because God really understands humans and that humans need that and humans need violence. Um, and so instead of putting more people in harm's way, they put themselves there. Um, and I was like, whoa, that really changed things for me. Um, because God demanding violence, just like, I've heard it all the time, but, um, it just never made sense. Um, and so the idea that God would say, you know, hey, y'all are so important to me. And also I know how you are. So I'm going to protect you, everyone, um, and spare you. And it's going to cause me actual pain. Uh, and I'm okay with doing that. Um, and that just felt really, really big to me um, and was kind of reframed things in a way that I hadn't really felt before. Um, and it also, it just kind of felt like he, you know, when he was saying, um, I'll take one for the team, kind of talking about Rebecca's sports metaphors, didn't for me translate into, I died for you. So you better not make me regret that. Like there's this motivating factor of inspiration and love and not that, uh, you know, we're not like let off the hook with that or that we don't need to follow through. But I think that it just points into a different motivating factor of like how we live up to that, that we're not, um, we're not motivated by guilt or fear or blame, but by wanting to help carry the weight um, that is inspired by like love and justice and not guilt and fear. I love that. I love, go ahead, Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I'm just saying I love it. I love it. <laughs> we, we're on the same page here where we just both love it. <laughs> You're just going to say, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the thing that resonates with me in that whole experience is 
you know, uh, I, as somebody who grew up actually with like a deeply, I think, positive experience of, of Jesus, there was a lot of my experience um, that of the way that that lived out in church culture that felt really difficult to me. And one of those pieces that I always really struggled with was Jesus on the cross. And there's a sense of internalizing a sense that God is actually deeply upset with me and he really wants to beat and kill me, but he thankfully beat and killed his own son so that he can feel okay with me. And there is the sense of like wrestling with what that meant. Um, and it makes a lot of sense to me about how much that uh, internalized into a sense of uh, a focus on individual responsibility for me growing up. Like, where is my moral standing at all times? Because there's a sense of like, I need to be able to defend his death for me. That there's a sense of like, you know, Jesus died on the cross. And so I better not make him regret that he made that choice. Or I better make these choices because look at all that he sacrificed. So I better, you know, do these things that are responsible for me. And it created a, a very corrosive um, experience of faith for me that I actually see all throughout evangelicalism, which is this idea that in some ways we, we speak of Jesus's grace, but at the end of the day, each of us are actually individually responsible for whether or not we've like validated uh, Jesus's sacrifice. Like you, it's your, whether you've done the right things, you've said the right prayers, you've uh, adopted the right perspectives. And that's what it looks like to be living in Jesus's grace rather than Jesus's grace being something that's extended to us outside of our own action and volition. So it does actually come down to us, not down to God in that picture, Kyle. That, that, I think that's a really important observation. Um, Abby, the thing that stood out to me from what, what you just said is how um, there is no less like weight or um, oomph or importance or just like magnitude to, um, to, to this self-sacrificial love picture of what's happening on the cross, the idea that yes, humans so often call for violence and call for, you know, they blame somebody for our problems. And so we're going to, we're going to kill, we're going to scapegoat that person. And, and God saying, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll willingly do that so that you don't make somebody else a victim. That's inspiring. That is powerful. That is huge. I mean, like th that, th that is not less weighty than this idea of the fear of punishment picture of God. And, and I think that that is so often, um, the, the reason that it's so useful, um, I think, in, in, in many e evangelical American Christian settings is that it, it, like fear of punishment is a, a very strong motivator in the short term. And so it feels very weighty. But what I love about what you just described is that like, well, I mean, like that sounds just as weighty and it doesn't go into that like fear of punishment territory that just we like. We, and I, as, as I want to hear from before we're done uh, today from you as somebody who's who's a who, an educator and who is steeped in research about human development, like fear of punishment is not a healthy way to motivate people. Right, like, and I just also, you know, I want to follow a being that believes that we're all important enough and not do that out of guilt, but because of like, because I feel fundamentally understood and supported. And I think mm -hmm. to me that feels like I should, I want to feel some, I want to follow something that makes me feel better. And also that I really believe that, you know, believes that everyone is the same amount of important. Um, yes. Well said, well said. So 
uh, this kind of feels tied to this desire that uh, Kyle was talking about. One of the reasons we've wanted to make this our series uh, as we lead up into uh, election week um, is that we're trying to shift the narrative about God and faith in America. And no doubt uh, anybody who's spent any time in American culture, whether you've spent lots of time in churches growing up or not, you've probably heard that message, that fear of punishment thing, uh, uh, talking about Jesus on the cross. Like that's why to follow Jesus. And um, I, I suppose what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, I'm drawn to in what we're saying is that it, the, the self-sacrificial view of the cross doesn't mean that like the cross is the one thing that we really shouldn't talk about as somebody who's passionate about Jesus, because that's the one that kind of concedes that we do need a strong man like Donald Trump in, in charge. Uh, you know, like in, in, from this view, it's like, no, self-sacrificial love, uh, the Jesus on the cross is like actually the best argument that we need a different kind of leadership than what we've that what we've had, and we need a different kind of message uh, coming, you know, from from those who are in power to in order to protect the vulnerable and move our country in a more just direction. I, it's like I, that feels like a huge relief just to say that, Abby, and I think that's where we're going. But I'm wondering if you can just help us like connect the dots a little bit more. Like, do you, can you pull the thread a bit further and help us to see the connection between this view of Jesus on the cross and what it is we, we all kind of in our, in our hearts are intuitively longing for in our country? Yeah, um, well, I can, I can try to connect the dots, but um, so I think like you mentioned, you know, the law and order versus self-sacrificial love and like the punishment God has all the rules and the detention slips. And maybe he gives you the rules, but maybe he doesn't. And you just have to figure it out and then get punished. Um, but the self-sacrificial love God has the empathy and the understanding of the whole picture. And I think that, so like tied to this law and order rhetoric, you have the God who says, I died. Doesn't that make you feel guilty and holds it over your head for the rest of your life and like into purgatory and beyond or, you know, whatever. Um, and this just breeds so much insecurity and resentment. And it just feels like such a superficial way to know truth. I mean, it maybe is more organized. I would argue that it's still not um, very organized, but, um, you know, with this rhetoric, then you have people in power who are saying like, you cross the border illegally, you're wearing a short skirt, you shouldn't have broken a window or been in your yard or like turned your back on an officer. And that presents you with the motivation to follow them solely based on fear and guilt. And like this blame that they're always going to hold over you um, and that it's your fault. And if you don't do this, you're in trouble. Um, and that's so weak. I mean, it's very scare scary and it's very powerful, but it's, it's really, really weak. Um, and it kind of reminds me too of earlier in the, the God of the Oppressed series. Um, and I, I believe it was when you were talking with Lester and talking about this idea of having like logic and emotional reactions being like at odds with each other and like logic being like the above all evidence. Like, you know, you don't take into the account the emotional experience. I think like you have this like solely logic evidence based with the law and order rhetoric that doesn't actually look at what is the experience of people who are following these rules or not following these rules. Um, and so with something that's more aligned with like self-sacrificial leadership, and I don't want to like get into like comparing leaders to God and not, like, I don't, that's not really where I'm going with this, but um, with self-sacrificial leadership, I think it's not that there aren't any like consequences or that there isn't any guidance, but it's that there are policies and 
leaders and communication that are motivating people from a place of um, trust and understanding. So it's not like they're going to, they're not going to point to all of the ways that you've personally failed and deserve punishment. Um, they're going to say, Hey, you never had a fair chance because there are systems instructors that are, and structures that are like actively working against you and have been forever. Um, and it's no wonder that this is where you are and how you're feeling. Um, let's get you into a spot where you don't have to feel this way. Um, and so I think it's not like, it's not helpful to point to the wrong thing or the crime when there are so many more, like more important factors at play. And so I think for me, a self-sacrificial leader is someone who lets the periphery go um, and can really just see what's at the heart of what, it, what is this really about? Um, you know, I, I think that that is just such a, so, so well said, uh, Abby. Um, I, I was recently just watching something that was depicting uh, the Roman empire uh, right around the time Jesus lived. And you think about this deterrent, actually the crucifixion was the deterrent. Uh, and th there, there's this picture of these Roman soldiers going into this town, uh, asking for um, allegiance uh, from the people there and their failure to do that adequately and led to crucifying those that did not fall in line. And that it was a sense of like, look at the, look at the punishment awaiting you if you don't fall in line with us. And you think about the juxtaposition of Jesus saying, follow me, and then being the one to, to uh, step to the cross. That like the way that the God of the universe accomplished the, his mission on earth was by stepping into the way of the imperial power, stepping into the action that was used to be the deterrent of others to fall in line, and instead sacrifice himself but then be resurrected on the third day to bring new life. And, and that is the place of, of love and sacrifice that Jesus uh, is leading us out of. And, we, and I think about that today of the, of the way that the policies in our own country, I can't help but think about like the deterrent of child separation and all of these types of things that are meant to help us fall in line out of fear of what might happen to us. But what happened when the God of the universe stepped into a society that had the deterrent of crucifixion? they themselves stepped onto the cross and brought resurrection on the third day. And I think that's a, it's an incredibly important thing for us to realize right now of where Jesus is encouraging us to think about uh, the way that we approach and, and think about how we follow him and then how we encourage other people in life. It is not through throwing up more and more crosses for them to be afraid of, but rather looking at uh, the Jesus that sacrificed himself and out of love invites us into life. That is something we long for, not something we're afraid of the other side of. This, yeah, this is just, I, I'm, I'm so helped by um, just seeing how we're talking about um, the picture of God you have, the, your beliefs around who God is. If you follow that, you will eventually get to various behaviors or uh, opinions or um, things that you're inclined toward, like when it comes to policy or when it comes to how you think life should work. And, uh, and if you start with that picture of God, you will eventually get there. And what we're being, what we're being encouraged to think about here, Abby, is just like, like if we have this self-sacrificial God at the center of, uh, of what we believe, the picture we have of God, and we try to pull that thread all the way through to what we believe about how leadership should act, how a government should act, 
how individuals who ever have influence over other human beings around them should act. We get, I mean, like, let's pay attention to that. And let's really see, like, are we being consistent? Because there is, uh, as you said before, it is inspiring and compelling and magnetic and and really like it feels important in our hearts when we start with that picture of self-sacrificial love. Can we pull that all the way through? And if we can pull it even past like the the big picture, like what do we think about how the world should operate? What do, I, what do I think about how I as an individual should operate with my children, with my neighbors, with my wife, with my family, with my friends, you know, like what does it mean for me to, to pull self-sacrificial love all the way through to every like, every facet of how I live. And that's what you're talking about. And that does feel that weight that you were talking about in a way that is just, I don't know, like it sits in my heart and it makes me, it does convict me. It does make me feel like, wow, this is important, but it doesn't make me feel small. It actually makes me feel like possibility in a way that just, uh, again, to, I mean, I know we've, we're kind of beating the horse dead, but like fear of punishment's never going to get me there, right? Like, I'm always going to be looking over my shoulder. I'm always going to be feeling like, oh God, this is an obligation I have to fulfill so I can fill in the blank. Just looking at the war on drugs, it's like, uh, how, how fruitful is uh, increasing punishment around drugs really served our country opposed to uh, trying to actually bring interventions that are actually trying to help people through uh, a better life. It's it's the way that the policies are connected to the way that we see the world, which is deeply connected to how we see God, is really important. And I think it's really important for us to 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 say like Jesus did not stand on the side of threatening. Jesus did not stand on the side of saying, if you do this, look at this terrible thing that's going to come your way. Jesus stood on the side that says, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come and follow me. I, I am, uh, I'm here with the outsider. Uh, I am love. Um, and I think that those are the things that it's important that we recognize that there is an impact on how we actually approach others in how we see the world and God. Mm-hmm. Well, and just as both of you are saying that too, it's it sounds more... Like this feels just really real life applicable in a way that sometimes like spiritual life doesn't. Um, And not that it's not in certain ways, but this feels like you can directly apply it in a way that is true to what it, what God means and not have to like twist words to make it apply to you, but different, like it's just always going to be true and helpful to have, to have, to have someone who is self, self-sacrificial as or not someone but you know a universe that is geared towards this yes well said well said um i i neglected before to mention uh and i just as i'm i took a peek at the chat and the, uh, at the chat and there's some awesome stuff in there so i will just all the more say yes more awesome things in the chat please uh throw those in we'll bring in jen before we're done here uh to get some uh some final questions directed toward abby Um, But Abby, uh, one more thing that I I mentioned before, I I want uh, to hear from you because I think that you can offer some unique perspective on this as somebody who is practiced in trying to talk about this in down to earth ways, as you said, there's nothing quite like being around children that kind of recognizes like, oh my gosh, how do we even talk about this? Like what, uh, the, the way we often talk about this means nothing or it, or it means something we don't think uh, it means. And, uh, and you're somebody who's steeped in research about, about development, how people develop uh, uh, healthy uh, social emotional habits or how people develop healthy beliefs about themselves or about how life works. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, like, 
I, I essentially want us all to increase in confidence, uh, anyone here who's joining us, increase in our confidence about like how we can talk about Jesus in a way that actually connects with our instincts toward emotional health. And that doesn't like go down that route of like, you know, like when we talk, we, we can, when we talk about Jesus and what he did on earth, it's really provocative to people and wonderful. But then when we talk about Jesus on the cross and oh yeah, but there's that one part where he's about fear of punishment. Can you help, you know, help us increase in confidence where it's like all consistent? There is no like weird thing over here in the story of Jesus that we have to hide because it's so ugly. Yeah. And I mean, I think about this a lot, all the, like all the time as a teacher, especially of young children. Um, and just, you know, thinking about the the power dynamics of that, like as one adult in a class full of vulnerable small people, I have a lot of power and I don't like, you know, wave a scepter around and make them, you know, do everything I say, but I do really understand that what I say matters. And so the way that I react means a lot and can really affect how, you know, affect how children view themselves and what they really understand about feelings and social acceptability and what, like what the world tells them about themselves. Um, and that's pretty big, I feel like it's, it's a, it feels like a lot. Um, but, you know, when I think about it, I like a thousand percent don't want children in my class to listen to me because they're afraid that I won't like them or that I'll tell their mom. Um, you know, I want them to listen to me because they've built a trusting relationship with me and they know that I'll take care of them and respect them. Um, and that what I'm telling them to do makes sense to them because it can make all the sense in the world to me. But if I don't translate that in a way that developmentally makes sense, it doesn't like there's not that piece of connection there. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm speaking of children, but we're all former children. Um, I mean, some of you might actually be children, but you've probably stopped listening at that point if you are. Um, and so, but these themes really can be applied and generalized to adults. Like it's not something that goes away. I mean, this type of um, relationship building and like identity construction is really integral throughout our our lives. And it's really like we construct ourselves and our identity and our confidence in relationship with people and in our like spiritual relationships and our friendships and our, you know, everything. Um, and so when we tell somebody what to do, like if adult, if I like was were to tell a child what to do without explaining that, the experience is just that like everything is arbitrary and I'm super controlling. It's like, uh, you know, on Wednesdays you have to wear pink. Uh, I'm not going to tell you why it really makes no sense, but if you don't like you can never sit with me again and I'll make your like social life miserable. Um, and so having this like controlling leadership and like a do as I say approach is really harmful to people who are in power. Um, and so what you take from that is like, I don't have power. I am inferior. I don't have any confidence and like very dangerously, there's a lot of self doubt that goes with that. And so there's like this very clear, dynamic um but there's not any support or way to like even figure out the your self-importance um in like a positive way um and so you know emotionally like children who children i say children but right like adults who are just pressured to obey for the sake of obedience um you know you might become like really defiant or very submissive or not have confidence. And I think there's like another piece of this too, where, 
you don't really have motivation to think about other things or like what reasons might be for rules or how to problem solve. And so when you have this heavy control, like this isn't news, I know to a lot of you, like heavy control, bad. Um, you know, you have like no critical thinking and there's little perspective taking. Um, but there's also that piece of like self-trust. You don't have that. And I think that that's a piece that's very, uh, it's really unhealthy and damaging. Um, but if you have this cooperative two-way street relationship, you can still have a power dynamic. Like that's not something that's part of a human experience and that's okay. But in that, like you have both people matter. Um, so you have respect on that. Like I could, you know, like as an adult, you can return the child's respect by giving them um, like the possibility to be autonomous and understood. Um, and I, I kind of think about this too, and just like, um, I was doing a little bit of reading last night, so I had some like things to, you know, back, back this up, but just thinking about like three different types of um, obedience and reasons why, and I kind of don't like the word obedience. I think it's a little heavy handed, but it, it is a word that fits the situation. Um, so like you do something because it's the rule. So you don't, you don't understand it. It's the rule. Somebody told you to, so you do it. Um, that would be like very controlling, but then there's a couple, there's like two more types that I think get to a more healthy, you know, type of following like leadership. Like, so you do understand. So something was explained to you, you understand it. So you do it, which is great. Cause that builds your autonomy and like, you know, you're figuring out how to do things and like what your decisions are and taking information into account. Um, but then there's another part where it's, you don't really understand, but you do it because you trust and love the person who told you to do that. Um, so like, for example, you know, somebody perhaps asks you to speak on Sunday and you're not really sure why, but you trust them. So you say yes. Um, and, who could uh, you be talking about, Abby? I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm confused here. <laughs> so like, so basically I think what I'm saying too is that following in itself, obeying in itself is not negative but it's really why you do it and how it makes you feel and what the motivating factor is. Like anything that is controlling and makes you feel worse about yourself is just unhealthy. Like that's not, um, you know, I think there's that question of support and control and what's behind it. Like there's literal science behind it, but I also think it's a really important question to ask is which one makes you feel better about yourself as a whole person? Um, because any leadership or mentorship or spiritual life shouldn't make you feel worse. I hope everyone is seeing just a beautiful like thread between what Abby is talking about from a social science perspective and the God that Jesus shows. Like there, there is, if we are seeing the self-sacrificial love God, there is just all of all of those good reasons to fall into like that flawed word obedience. Um, whereas, uh, again, what I think most of the narratives around Christianity and, and, uh, and around the God of the Bible uh, would point us toward that first one, which is control. And I just think, boy, this, this, this really bears paying attention to because what we're shifting, what we see in what Abby is describing is a very different God, a God that, that does um, uh, instill trust. Think about the, you know, there's a, I can't remember who the quote was, but essentially it's, uh, 
the a problem we often have is that we imagine God to be less kind and generous to us than even our own parents. Like there's a sense, and for me being a parent, I think about why why I would do things for my kids. And it, it's not out of a sense of like, they owe me because, you know, all the things like, there's not a, it's because of a deep love and affection for them. And I think the sense of like wanting to build this relationship and any sacrifice that is made is a thing that is deeply out of investment and care for them. And the truth is, the image I had of God uh, in one place, it was contradictory because I believed in a loving God that was there for me and cared for me. But at the same time, there was this idea that the relationship and the reason he felt okay with me is because he figured out how to deal with how angry he was with me by punishing himself in Jesus. And that there's something that was deeply unsettling, opposed to a God that is freely sacrificing to address the issues and the challenges of of the world around us so that I can live a life that's more full of freedom and more full of grace. And to me, I like, I'm a flawed, flawed father, but like, that's a, like at the bare minimum, I would expect God of the universe, all loving one to be as kind and loving to me as I try to be to my own kids. Jen, um, can I bring you in here uh, to uh, pose any other comments or questions Abby's way and just to kind of see some final takeaways here? Yeah, I'd love to read this um, awesome quote Rebecca shared um, from the author uh, Terry Pratchett. Um, it's a great fantasy author for those who don't know. Uh, Fear is a strange soil. It grows obedience like corn, which grow in straight lines to make weeding easier but sometimes it grows the potatoes of defiance, which flourish underground, um, which I thought was really, really powerful. It was really cool. Uh, I would also ask um, the other thing that's been coming to mind, uh, I think from this discussion and, and what people are saying in the chat is um, <clears throat> uh, the idea of uh, authority and, you know, you keep talking about the role of the teacher and the, the role of authority and how often um, these power structures are used in a toxic way rather than a relational uh, loving way. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Sure. <laughs> um, so it, for me, it too is like a little bananas that it is a toxic way that it's been portrayed because everything points to it being loving. But I think that the image of, of someone die, like it's very, it is a very violent image. And I think that that visual image and like all of the um, language and evocative like uh, pictures that that, um, you know, creates for us it just doesn't quite fit with the way that it feels like it should mean. And so that is not a very clear way of saying that it's confusing to me that it feels so toxic because um, it, it's confusing and it's not confusing because at the heart, it's why would that be toxic? Um, because there are so many examples of everything Jesus does in service of making people better and making the vulnerable people feel supported and challenging power structures. And then you, you know, you think about like psychological health and how, um, you know, when you have this like unification of what you believe and what you do and how you feel supported, you are like, you are, 
you have this health, you have mental health and spiritual health and you feel good about yourself. And so it, it is a little bananas to me that it's like, not that that's not what we're fed. Um, but I, so I don't, I guess I don't really have an answer other than I think that this, um, it, it a little bit points to um, what Rebecca was saying too about, or the, in that quote about having, um, you know, needing control in order um, for not, that's not exactly what the quote was saying, but having, um, having control makes things easy or makes things orderly. And we have to ha like, we have to be able to have language that we understand. And so that is the language that we have to understand it and then have to figure out how that matches with like our experience, I think. I think the, the one piece that I would add here is when our concept of what the role of the cross is, is the, a God moving from angry and desiring our punishment to a God that has figured out a way to feel okay with us. And you think about the religious culture of this country and you think what now buys us entrance into God feeling okay with me. It is uh, saying a prayer. It is adhering to the cultural expectations of my faith. It is building that in-group of like, I am saved. But now you think about what responsibility and how you think about those who are not in that in-group with you. They're still on the outside. They have not crossed that threshold of being made okay with God. They have not crossed that threshold of gone from those that deserve anger and punishment to those who now live in corner of grace. And so you create an in-out dynamic that is actually deeply founded in a sense of internal, uh, an experience of justified lack of responsibility to them. That they somehow, whatever suffering they experience, somehow whatever hardship they experience that is, is a result of them not crossing that threshold to be saved. And therefore the only pathway for them to experience something good is to be like me. And you think about the way culture is tied into that. You think about how all those things are opposed to an image of the cross that is deeply self-sacrificial, which is creating space for everybody to get their needs met, everybody to feel freedom. And when that's your foundation, how do you orient yourself to those different than you? How do you orient those to those who are not in your in-group? And you think about how those things play out. It, it really does impact it. So to me, why do I think I am I bear responsibility for uh, the South Central American re uh, refugees that are being held at our border? Why do I bear responsibility to that? It is not because they're in my Christian in-group. It is because I believe in a God who deeply sacrifices himself for the inclusion and freedom of all people, opposed to a worldview that says that actually I'm only responsible to those like me. And then when we think about that and we exist in that culture, that just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then the suffering of a El Salvadorian four-year-old on the border feels distant and not part of who we are. It, those things matter and they connect with each other. And it's, it, it, it does trickle down from how we think about the God of the universe accomplishing their mission on earth. Well, I hate to have to be the person who says uh, we're at our time limit, but I am that person right now. Um, so one thing I'll say is if you're looking for more of a theological discussion around 
um, looking at Jesus on the cross from a from this self-sacrificial love view, uh, I'm going to drop in the chat right now a link to a sermon from our archives uh, here at Brownline Church. And you should totally follow that and check it out. I think that you'll engage it a lot if this discussion engaged you. Uh, but for now, uh, just like so, so I feel so helped by drawing the connection to it's election week uh, that Abby has allowed us to do. And so Abby, I mean, we're we're all kind of in a place where we're like, oh my gosh, like my my emotions are geared up for this week. And, uh, and that's in a lot of different places. And so I'm wondering, could you pray for us in that space here as we, as we close up our discussion time? And then, uh, and then before we shift to the end of our, our service today, Kyle and I have a few more um, things we want to offer uh, given that it's election week. But before we leave our discussion, Abby, would you pray for us? Sure will. Um... <laughs> Dear God, um, thanks for the love um, that you give us through your trust and through your understanding and for the love that you show us through this community. Um, I ask that you help us to ask direct, ask, ask direct questions when we don't understand and provide us with kind and supportive ways to discover uh, what those answers can look like in our lives. Um, and I pray that the wisdom and love and justice that you've showed us on the cross is extended and realized in our daily lives through the people who do life with us um, just on all levels. And I pray that you just maybe phrase something differently for us or have someone explain what they mean in a way that makes us feel your self-sacrificial love in a way that feels like a weighted blanket and not like a bed of nails. Um, we know that you value and stand by and love the, the voices of people whose voices are often suppressed. And it feels really extra important right now to ask you to amplify and protect those voices. Um, thank you. You're great. Amen. <laughs>